We're excited about beginning this brand new series today, and over the next four weeks, uh, we'll address issues of men and women trying to solve the puzzle. And first two weeks will be towards men, and the second week's towards women. So I want to also just pause and just say, thanks for worshiping at Grace Community Church. There's a lot of churches that are great churches in Elkhart County, and uh, thanks for taking the time to come and support and serve and, and show up this morning. And uh, you're, you're an incredible blessing uh, to me and to others here too. And so just thanks for making grace your home. And if this is your first time here, you'll find that we love Jesus and we love people. And we're not perfect in any stretch of the imagination. It, just look at me. Um, but really do. Um, sometimes we can take for granted what God's doing in our midst. And there's something special God is doing. And uh, don't ever take it for granted. Um, salvation is a precious gift from God. Don't ever get tired of that. Um, it's an eternal gift. That's what, if that's all that God ever gave us, that's more than enough for us. But thanks for being part of grace. Today, we begin uh, this journey of talking about men. And let's face it, men and women are just, we're different. Take a look. Great. I'm having a great day. Man, uh, Carol and I, we just had an awesome date last night. We went back to the place where we got engaged and everything. Wait, 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 wait. Don't tell it yet. Hang on. Uh, Bing, Kleenex. Andy, I've got tea. Uh, I've got chocolate. Wait for me! It was amazing. I had to like replace windshield wipers oh, and yeah. I mean with this rain and everything it's it's it was a total mess. And you know I had to do that once my, and I tried it myself. Hey, there's, there's a spider on your shoulder right ah! Oh my gosh! Oh, Hey, dude, can I borrow those cute shoes you wore for Dad Fest last year? Question mark. Oh, I don't know. I haven't figured it out yet. I'll send you some pictures. Hey, babe, do you like my hair parted on the left or the right in this shirt? Stormtrooper. Forget it. We're not going out. I have nothing to wear. Oh my goodness. These things are awesome, aren't they? My, my mouth hurts. My jaws hurt from grinning. It's uh, I feel like just, uh, just, let's just go home. I mean, it's like, oh, that's great. There are some differences between men and women. We'll begin there. And over the, 
Oh, Bing was killing me. <laughs> it's looked like he'd done that before, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, jeez, I got to recover here. Oh, why recover? It was funny. Um, but there are some differences between men and women, and uh, we're going to address some of those. And, and so today's message, we're going to take a look at uh, the real man and the real truth about men. And our hope is that today, even that men will see how men are wired and how that affects us, and even ladies. And so this will, this will impact singles and married couples and even work relationships. And, uh, but men are different, and, uh, but it wasn't always that way. Grab your Bibles, and we're going to go to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. We're going to try to solve this problem of men and women and look at the differences. Me, a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers would be glad to put one in your hand. But turn to the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to take a look at verse 26 through 28 and verse 31. Genesis 1, 26. And we're going to take a look at the beginning of when man and woman was created and see what happened and then why that is and then how it's affected men even today. But turn to Genesis chapter 1, first book of the Bible, in verse 26 through 28, and verse 31. Stand with me, and we'll read it together. Genesis 1, 26. The hand cleaner was great, wasn't it? Just a... <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, Genesis 1, those things are going to go viral so quickly, it's unbelievable. Genesis, read Genesis 1, 26 through 28, and we'll read verse 31. Ready, read. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock and over the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now let's read verse 31. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. We have a seat. So believe it or not, there was a time when man and woman was created the first, Adam and Eve, and God said it's very good. But then there was this moment in history as we know as the fall of man where sin entered the world where where Adam and Eve fell because of sin and so what man was supposed to be the real man was supposed to be perfect in every way love perfect in every way and so was woman but as they progressed along there's this event that takes place in Genesis chapter 3 all of a sudden we see this difference we see where sin enters the world and from the course of history from there on changed everything and progressively, man and woman, literally from that time, have, has fought against the effects of sin and the effects of the fall of, of, of sin. And so as a result, if you were to open up men right now, one of the primary things that has affected men and the real man, if we're really honest, I'll be honest today and address this, we mask insecurity. The majority of men struggle at some time or another, and some for very long periods of their lives with insecurity. In fact, a recent survey showed that. But look at Genesis chapter 3 first, and we're going to look at verses 6 to 10. Genesis 3, verses 6 to 10. I want to show you where this, this sin entered the world and how from that period on, everything changed with man. Genesis 3, look at verses 6 through 10. It says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were what? Open, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then it says this, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The Lord God called to the man, where are you? And be quite frank, he's still asking that question. Man, where are you? Verse 10 says this. He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was what? Because I was naked, so I what? So, from when sin entered the world, one of the very first 
things about man that went south was his security. And as a result of that, he became insecure. And we see here the word afraid pops on the scene for the very first time in humankind. It wasn't even the vocabulary of men and women at that time. And the moment sin entered, man became afraid. Afraid of standing in front of God. All of a sudden, he became self-conscious of his sin. Self-conscious not only of his sin, but even of his outward appearance. Up to that time, there was no need for clothes. That would have been a great time for men and women without any sin. But sin entered the world. Man was afraid. And so it says he went and he hid from God. And from that day, move forward thousands of years, man has been hiding. Man has been posturing. Man has been posing. Man has been pretending. Man has been acting as if Everything underneath is okay when in fact it isn't. There's insecurity underneath. There's a fear. And we're going to talk about that today. There's this insecurity that has really paralyzed men. And so instead of being strong in in the identity in Jesus alone, sin causes men to find insecurity in who they are. And when Satan comes in, he pounds us in our weaknesses, and so we begin to look at our weaknesses instead of who we are in Christ, and we become insecure. Every day, there's been polls done all across the board, doesn't matter where you research, 75% of men have an inner vulnerability about his performance. And over the years, we have become more concerned with what people think about us and looking for their approval. And so what we've done We've begun to become actors, performers at everything we do. And so even like, I mean, something stupid like someone said along the way that, real, that men shouldn't wear pink. And so men, most men won't wear pink because they feel like if they do that, it makes them look like a woman or act like a woman. I wore a blazing bright pink shirt on Easter. Strong men and real men wear pink. I'm not worried about what someone says about me because I know who I am in Jesus Christ. But there's this fear of what people say about us. Automatically, it conjures up this insecurity in our life. So we posture, we pretend, and we pretend in our marriages, we pretend in the workplace, we pretend in our friendships. And so we have all these men who have become great actors, And even though many men look like they're in control on the outside, they often feel that their inabilities will be exposed. So we spend our lives performing like actors. And everything we do when we're not at our best is just a performance. Now, think about how Hollywood does that. If you see someone, an actor that you like, or or maybe it's a musician that you like, a performer, it's like you picture in your mind, that's who that person is. Wow, they're a great singer. Oh, he's a romantic. Oh, he's born. I mean, just, he can do anything. He's, he, he, and, and so in our minds, that's who we perceive that person to be. And then if we read something in the media press that says, you know, that they, they have this addiction or they committed adultery or they committed this crime or this felony, it's like, no, no way. That's, that's Tom Cruise. There's no way that could happen. Or that's, that, that, that's that, that actor I, I, that I follow. It's like, no way. When I see them, they got everything together. So what happened is we have all these men that are performing when underneath the real truth is he's very insecure. By the way, I think that's one of the great things that Fight Club has dismantled for men. It's a place where there's a safe environment to men to admit. I struggle. This is what I struggle with. And there's a group of men that come right alongside and just pour into that man and prop him back up and say, it's okay, dude, I struggle with this too, but by God's grace, we're going to overcome this. So it happens in our homes. We become these insecure men. It also happens with children. Watch sons in a home. If you have a real, 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 real protective environment where you don't allow your son, especially if a mother steps in and coddles and cares and goes overboard with her nurturing and protection, and this this young boy doesn't have a chance to explore or try or go do something different. When he is grown out of the home and he gets pushed out into an environment where he's never had a chance to think on his own, what he does, 
he be, he's often, often this insecure guy. Now, let me tell you something. If you have a son that's a loner, that like he, he doesn't do well with other people, and he finds himself not being able to be in the environment of other guys, one of the primary reasons he's that way is he's very insecure. So don't feed that insecurity because what will happen once he leaves the home, he gets out on his own. And if he's not strong in Jesus Christ and he's insecure in his identity, he'll attach himself to the first group of people that, that he runs with. And if this group isn't a healthy group, bad company corrupts good character, this young man of yours will do what they do so he's accepted so that he hides this insecurity. And so often rebellion or rebellious kids, the root of that is insecurity. And it begins in the home. That's why we, and I'm going to show you, we need to pour into men. Especially a father needs to pour encouragement into his son. But on top of that, we have an enemy that knows that we can be insecure. And so day after day, the Bible says he accuses us. So ladies, day after day, these are the thoughts that men think. This is what he thinks while he's working. This is what he thinks after he's done something. These are the thoughts that run through a man's mind, and they come from the enemy. And day after day, for a man, the enemy attacks our security. And he'll say, here you go again. There you are with that same thing that you just told 50 guys that you overcame. There you are again, and you promised never to do it again. There you are again, and you had victory for 11 days, but I knew you couldn't do it for 12 there you are again in that relationship with your wife where you made a promise and you were good for six months. And there it is, that six months in that first day. And it's like, you should just give up. You should be farther along, the enemy says, in your journey with God. You will never catch up to your wife if she knew who you really were and what you struggle with and what your thoughts are. And so what we do, we back away and we let her lead instead of saying, Satan, get behind me. In Christ, this is who I am. I'm forgiven. He's taken it to the cross. I'm redeemed. I can move on. So day after day, men have these thoughts that say, you will never succeed at anything. God doesn't love you. What makes you think that you will ever be able to see victory there? You'll fall again. And so men walk into any circumstance. If they think they're going to fall again, they won't even try it. Because the enemy continues to remind us and we get insecure. And we'll often say things like this. They'll say, see that person looking at you? They know you're a loser. So you might as well just bail out. It's too hard. It's too difficult. And so instead of getting back up and you've already tried it once and you tried it twice, you just say, that's not for me. I can't do that. I could never do that. Instead of getting back on your feet and saying the power of Jesus Christ, I can do that. You pull away and don't even try. And what it is, you are insecure. And it began in the garden. 75% of men struggle with insecurity every day. So we spend our lives, ladies, men spend their lives trying to outperform the next guy beside them in the workplace, on the, on the basketball court, in the, in the bar scene, no matter where it's at, in getting the nicest, bigger, better car. We just build and we get things that make us better because underneath there's this insecurity that drives all of that. So we spend our lives even in, even, even in to older age, with the thought that we can't cut it, especially as a man ages. By the way, let me pull away and say this. I don't want to say that every man is insecure all the time. Let me just say that there are very confident men in Christ too. And when you find a man like that, ladies, if you're wanting to meet a man and you're looking for a man that you could spend your life with and you're thinking, I'm thinking about marriage and that's on your journey... Go after a secure man. Because let me tell you something. A secure man knows who he is in Jesus Christ, and he knows where he's headed. And listen, when you see one, chase him down. I heard recently a a really good quote, a good tip when it came to dating. And it was for men. And and it went this way. And it said this, men, when it comes to dating or trying to find the girl for you, run as fast as you can towards God. And if someone keeps up, introduce yourself to her. Just go all after God, 110 mile an hour. And if there's this girl that's keeping up with you, she's pursuing after God, you better stop and say, I, what's your name? 
And ladies, when he, when he introduces himself to you, go to Genesis 2.18. Best pickup line for a single girls. Girls, write this down. Genesis 2.18. This, this is your best pickup line that you'll ever have. And just read right and say, this is what God said. Go to Genesis 2.18. says, it's not good for a, a man to be alone. <laughs> there it is. I've been running. You're alone. God said it. What's your name? Best pickup line there is. An insecure man does one of two things. One of two things. He overcompensates and becomes a driven, violent man. So, if he's insecure underneath, you'll see this everywhere. You'll see this husband. You'll see bosses. You'll see brothers. You'll see, you'll see sons. You'll see coaches. Insecure coaches overcompensate for their insecurity, and they become driven, violent men. They make sure they let you know that they are in control and you don't speak on their terms and you are hush and you don't say anything back. And often the very reason you see a violent, insecure man, husband, coach, teacher, is because they're insecure. And sometimes I stand back and I watch and I see coaches and I think, oh my goodness, look at that insecurity. And he looks like he's all in control. But you know what he's doing? He's performing. He's acting out, covering up his insecurity. And so one of two things, he overcompensates and becomes a driven, violent man, or he shrinks back and gets passive. So two things, overcompensates and becomes a driven, violent man, or shrinks back and gets passive. He just refuses to participate. He doesn't want to reveal his weaknesses. I watch it happen all the time with men. Men, we, we, we need men for this. We need men for that. We need men to sign up for this. Participate in that. And they, you never see them. They just back away and they get passive. And the reason they're passive, they are insecure. They don't want you to know that they think they don't have what it takes to succeed. Watch it happen anywhere. I mean, it's... It, it, this past Tuesday, I had an opportunity to go down to Grace College and, and share at Beta Hall. My son Josh is an RA at Beta Hall, and they have a thing that happens on two, uh, once a month or something like that. It, and it's called Man Olympics, and they bring in a speaker. So Josh asked me to come down, and, and I went down, and they had these man. By the way, I spoke at like 10 o'clock at night. It's like, gosh, I'm ready for bed at 10 o'clock at night. And they're just like wide awake. Hey, let's eat. Eat. Holy cow. I won't be able to sleep all night. But they had these man Olympics going on, and, and it was interesting. Like, they have three floors at Beta. One, two, and three. Yeah, it's three floors. And so, um, and so they were competing against each other, north and south, north and south. And so Josh was asking for representatives to come from each floor. And so he would tell them what they're about to do, and then I watch them in. They just backed away. Well, I'm not doing that because I can't succeed at that. I watch men all the time. They won't step in and try something because they have a fear of showing everyone there that they're not good at it. And so they become passive, and they'll watch someone else, and secretly, though, after it's done, they'll think, gosh, I could have done that. I should have tried that. And so men struggle with that over and over and over and over and over again. He doesn't lead his family well because his wife knows more memory verses than he does. Well, I could never memorize uh, Romans 12, 1 through 2. Well, she knows it, and she quotes it at me all the time. And so you have these men with this fear that the wife knows more. Instead of digging in his feet, opening up the word of God, getting in accountability, challenging himself to study and saying, you know what, I bet God would want me to lead my family, and he would give me all I need to make this happen. Instead, he passively backs away, and the lady leads. And so he's happy with that, because it doesn't reveal his weaknesses to everyone else. But let me tell you something, men. When another man sees a man who's passive and not leading his family, he loses all respect for you. Because he knows what you're doing, you're performing, you're posturing, you're insecure. In a marriage, in a dating relationship, on a sports team, you'll see it. I mean, think about this even for bosses. All of us have worked in the workplace in some form or fashion. Think about the bosses that were just like the grumpy grunners, the violent ones that just, they would get their way. They ruled with an iron fist. 
And it's like you were just like walking on eggshells, and they just screamed and they yelled and they pushed and they shoved and do this. They're just insecure men. There's been many times along the way. In fact, I can remember a time I went up to a guy and said, dude, you are so insecure. He was so ticked. <laughs> and he says, what gives you the right? I said, well, you are. I said, look how you're acting. He said, I'm not insecure. I said, dude, why are you so defensive? It's because you're insecure. I watch it happen in the workplace. I mean, just recently, the Rutgers coach, horrible, horrible. Just got fired from his job. Um, got fired because the video surfaced of this coach who was in practices with his team, and he was when they did something wrong, he was taking basketballs and chucking it at them, hitting them upside the head, grabbing them by the jersey and throwing them down. And there was these pictures of just over and over this coach who was constantly doing these things to us. And it's like they showed him in an interview, like the next morning. Now, if you hadn't watched the film of this man. I watched the interview on ESPN. It's like Mike Rice is going to interview. And I watched this guy come up in the interview. He was articulate, calm. Yeah, he said, you know, it, it embarrassed my wife. Embarrassed your wife? He lost his job. They fired him. I watch it happen often. I watch it happen with coaches, do it with men and girls. They, they just, they rule over them. They're insecure. All it is is insecurity. And so, when insecurity surfaces, the primary reason is because of Genesis 3. But listen, we need to find our identity in Jesus Christ, but most men don't. He thinks about that all the time, especially when uncertainty surfaces. Like, what direction should I go? What job should I take? And what about my kids? When there's uncertainty, insecurity surfaces. Let me just say this, ladies. I want to share some things with you that your man wants to say to you but he probably wouldn't say it. I'll say it for him. These are the things that insecure men think about all the time. They would say it this way. I worry that you will find someone else. Insecure men think about that all the time. Yeah, your man thinks about that. He often thinks, I wonder if she'll find someone else. That man that you see that posturing, that's posturing insecurity, he wonders if you'll find someone else. He'll even say things like this. I worry that you're not happy with me. He might not tell you that, but while he's at work, while he's sitting in the bleachers watching a ball game, while he's out running, while he's out working, he's thinking about this thought. I wonder if she's happy with me. He would never tell you that if he's insecure. He also thinks this. I worry that you will get tired of me and leave me one day. Insecure men think that all the time. Yeah, your man does. He also thinks this, I worry that I will fail as a dad and my kids one day will run far from God. Every insecure man, if he's not rooted in Jesus Christ, can be destroyed by worry, wondering if he'll fail as a dad and his kids one day will run far from God. By the way, kids, your parents think about that all the time. They want you to run after Jesus. They also think this, I worry that I could never be everything to you. They think they don't have what it takes, especially as a man ages. As a man ages, and he, can, he doesn't have disciplines in his life, and everything begins to change about him. His emotional health, his mental health, his physical health, his spiritual health, if he doesn't have a disciplined life, and all those things begin to shake and crumble, he begins to worry, he begins to wonder if he could be everything to you. And he would also say this, an insecure man would say, I fear I will fail you. He thinks that all the time when he's insecure. Yeah, your man thinks, he wonders if he'll fail you. And so, with, when he's insecure, he won't try new things because of the fear of failure. And so what he does, he becomes passive and becomes a minimum requirement kind of husband, a minimum requirement kind of father, a minimum requirement kind of child of God. He doesn't live life to the maximum. He just does the minimum to get through because he doesn't want to fail you or fail everyone else. And he doesn't want to look bad in front of his peers. So he doesn't even participate. He just hides on the sidelines. And every once in a while, he gets this thought, boy, I should do something with my life. It's not over. 
You see, the fear of failing can also be used in a good way for us, though, men. It could get us out of bed in the morning and get us into the gym and into God's word when otherwise we wouldn't do so because we don't want to fail. When a man loses his job, ladies, it's like a total failure for him. It's like a death. It's hard for some ladies to imagine that. But when a man loses a job, if he's not careful, and he has so much security wrapped around his identity of that job, when he loses that security of income, it's like death to him. It's like a funeral. When he gets that notice and he comes home and he has to tell you that I lost my job, the last thing he wants to hear from you is you getting on his case about what he should have and shouldn't done. He is in deep mourning. It's like a funeral when he loses his job. However, insecurity can cause a man to stay, too, with what he's familiar with and never put himself in a place where he might not be the expert. I see that happen often. You see this guy who just gets really, really, really good at what he's doing. You think, man, you should do something else. You got other gifts and talents, but he won't because he wants to become an expert at that. He won't try something new. He won't, he won't push himself farther because right now people love him at that point. It's like, oh, you're so good at that. And he gets the applause of, of many people. And yet he won't push himself in an environment where one day he might look really stupid for trying. He won't go there because of fear of that thing right there. When in reality, listen, the best thing we can do is learn from our failures. He thinks about that all the time. Also, a man has another inner desire. We feel a strong desire to solve and succeed. Look at Proverbs chapter 19. Men have a strong desire to solve and succeed. Look at Proverbs chapter 19 and look at verse 15. Proverbs 19 and verse 15. Men are wired with a strong resolve and a desire to solve and succeed. Look what it says in Proverbs 19, 15. Laziness brings on deep sleep, and the shiftless man goes hungry. Look again. Laziness brings on deep sleep, and the shiftless man goes hungry. In other words, the shiftless man is the man without purpose. We need to have some kind of purpose in our lives. We need to know where we're going. And when we're insecure, we're not certain of that. But when we're insecure in Christ, we are made to have purpose and to have a plan and to progress it out and to map it out and to get to that spot. Every day when we wake up, it's like men need to know, okay, where am I going? How do I get there? Who's coming with me? How can I do it the best I can do it? But when he's insecure, he doesn't move that way because he doesn't have purpose. We need purpose in our lives. Especially think about this. Often when a man finishes his career or retires, they often die at an early age if they didn't continue with some purpose in their lives because they are no longer solving complex issues on the work front. They are no longer um, um, completing tasks. They no longer have themselves, their name appear that runs through an email says, I need you. And so men that often retire kind of drop off and become passive. And many of them you'll see, even sport figures, their purpose. And when they lose that identity and that thing that they're doing instead of their identity in Jesus, they fall off the map. And some of them even take their life. It's like, I no longer have this purpose in my life. We need to have, we're wired to solve and succeed. I watch this all the time with college guys. Watch them around their sophomore, junior year. It's like they're trying to figure out what's happening next when they graduate. It's really difficult for a man to not know what's next. And if he doesn't know what's next, our insecurities can surface and overtake our emotions instead of saying, all right, God has it mapped out. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's God's purpose that prevails. God's going to take me each step of the way, and he'll show me. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. I'll never have to worry about it. So there's this sense where we need to know that God has our back. By the way, ladies, we were made to keep score and solve puzzles. It empowers us. That is why a man automatically goes into fix-it mode in a marriage. He just does. You know, I can tell you, 
I can't tell you how many times Anne has come to me, and we have a great marriage. She comes to me, and, she'll, and my mind right away, I have to really, all right, stop, Jim, filter. She'll say something like, you know, I was talking to so-and-so today, and man, it was, you know, they, they told me this, and she said, man, I was just wondering, I'm thinking, oh, you should have done this, done that, bop, 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 bop. And if I say bop, 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 she goes, bop, 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 bop. <laughs> it's, it's amazing, but I've watched her, our relationship grow through the years. And I love when she comes up to me and she says, Jim, hey, I got this thing going on. What do you think? <sighs> well, let me tell you. <laughs> it's awesome, ladies, when you go to your man and ask him what he thinks. Even if you think his idea is a harebrained idea, just pretend that you really like it. Doesn't mean you have to do it. But Anna often comes and she'll say, Jim, what do you think? And when she says that, it's like, whoo. Something inside of me connects to power and, and, and identity because I'm made to solve and I'm made to figure out. And so are men. But if... But if, in fact, I respond in a different way when she's not asking me, it doesn't go so well. Like, sometimes I don't know, and you know this. I don't answer. Sometimes I don't know I should hug her or give her the answer. And so I've learned to kind of wait to see, all right, you move first. <laughs> and I'm going to respond to whatever you do. And I've learned to read her over the years, and like 1% of the time I get it right. That's pretty good. After 25 years. When I get 1%, it's like, yeah, it's going to be a good night. <laughs> we, keep, we keep score. All, you know that's true. We keep score all day long. I mean, seriously, guys are, ladies, here's how we think. Seriously, we're keeping score all day long. I mean, we have a, the end zone in mind. And so all day long, we think, I did this. I, I, I should do this. Oh, if I do that, if I do this. If I do that, whew, I'm, up, I'm up four. It's like, it's like, oh man, it's going to be a touchdown tonight. <laughs> and ladies, it's like, they're not wired that way. Even if we say, well, what if I did this, this, that? They're like, they're just like feeling it all out. You know, just, and you're like, I don't need feelings. Just, I did this, I did that, did this, did this. Feelings can come later. Just the touchdown. But we keep score all day long. Why? Why do we want to solve? Because we love you. We want to chart out our futures, and we want to know from you that you will be there at the end of this plan, too. Guys and gals are different here. It's like in dating relationships, if you're in a dating relationship, even if you don't know how it's all going to work out, ladies, if your guy says, hey, I'm just thinking about our future together, he wants to know if you're going to be there at the end. He doesn't need to know right now because he'll figure out all the steps. But if you say, I don't care, I'll be there at the end, he will fight to hell and back for you. He needs to know that you'll be there at the end. Why? Because we want to win. And so we put all these pieces together to try to win. It's very difficult for a man to live with uncertainty about his future, especially if he's uncertain, his insecurities can surface. So he is constantly trying to find resolve and the plan to get to where he needs to go. And when he knows he's who he is in Jesus Christ, and he finally realizes step by step, Jesus will take me through this, then his identity is not in the planning, but it's in Jesus and he is secure. Think about how we keep facts and figures. Daily, we're taking in information. All day long, I'm taking in information. All day long, I'm just taking in information after information after information. I mean, seriously, we, I was heading last weekend to go see my mom and my father and my stepfather in, in uh, Maryland last weekend. And we're driving up 13, and we're heading towards the, the, the toll road, and the golf course is in the left on Middlebury. And Isaiah plays golf, and he's played in the junior, Elkhart Junior County uh, Golf Championship, the, the tourney. And I rode by and I said, Isaiah, remember that hole there where you hit the ball in the sand trap? And I said, remember it was up against the lip and you put out your sand wedge and you chipped it up and it was within three feet and the guy was right even with you and, 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 and you made the putt and it was a birdie. Remember, and it rolled to the right and it's like, holy cow. Well, so I can, it's like right now, I can go back. I played golf yesterday with Isaiah. I can go back to every single shot. 
I can go back to, I can take you back to hole number one. Hole number one, I hit my drive to the right. That's normal. Went to the right. It was up there on the right. Isaiah gets up, busts one right down the middle. He outdrove me. Stink. And I remember feeling what I thought. I walked over to hit the ball again. And I, I had a three wood in my hand, hole number one at Timber Ridge. And I busted it, but it caught the limb of a tree and it dropped it about 90 yards short. Isaiah gets up, hits a three hybrid, hits it six feet from the green. I was like, stink. And so we get up there. And I remember getting up to him and thinking, man, I need to chip mine in. And so I chipped it up by the pen. He went a little pass, and we putted. He, he ran past the hole. I came up, and we both got a five and got a bogey. I remember every, and I remember standing there, there were guys down in the hole number two. I'm thinking, man, those guys are hacking everywhere. I hope they let us play through. I can remember every single hole, not only yesterday, but six years ago. And I tell that stuff to Ann. We'll go to ball games, and we'll ride by. We'll go to Prairie Heights, and I said, Remember the time Hannah was playing center field for the softball team and that line drive was hit to her in the third inning by number 11? And remember, she hit it and she came running in and she caught it and her ponytail went this way and she smiled. And the person beside me said, wow, can you believe that? Yeah, that's my daughter. It's a brown. And I should just, just... <laughs> she said, how do you remember that stuff? I can remember when Josh was sliding into base. I can remember hitting three home runs at Lakeland. The wind was blown. Hit three home runs at left center field in one game. It's like, and I remember Dale Newcomer calling up uh, Dustin, who was in college. Brown just hit three home runs. I remember every detail. Now, that golf course that we were at, Ann, you know, we, we talked. She said, I say I played there? Yeah, you, you were there. Now, she'll remember the bathroom, what color the walls were in the clubhouse. <laughs> She'll remember the conversations that she had standing around. Have you ever tried to go to a basketball game when your wife sits beside another woman and you're watching the game? I've been at games with Ann, and I'm like, I'm, I'm zeroed in. I'm taking in facts. I'm watching warm-ups. I'm saying, number 11, he's got to move to the left. Number 12, boy, he's got a good right hand. I'm watching warm-ups. I'm, I'm tracking. I'm keeping score and saying if we got a chance or not. And so the game is going on. Oh, there's been times Ann will be, she'll be talking away to this person and saying, hey, uh, Josh, she's hit a three. That's his 19th in a row. <laughs> Wasn't the case, but it'd been nice. <laughs> and she's over here just yapping away, just, you know, talking to whomever, just. And how about this? When your wife asks you, when you've been somewhere, guys, and you've come home, she'll say, hey, how did that meeting go? You say, well, there were five people there. We got four assignments. We got this and got this. No, well, how was the meeting? I just told you. I gave you all the facts. We are wired differently. So ladies, we're solvers. And by the way, we're not going to change. That's how God made us. I'm not going to remember if the toilet paper was folded over or under in the bathroom. (laughs) But I'm going to remember if they had tightless golf balls or pinnacle golf balls up on the counter. And when it comes to dating relationships, it's a huge task for us to say we love you and want to date you and only you, especially when there's unknowns in the future. So if a man says that to you and he's a keeper, just tell him, I'll see you at the end, baby. So before we're willing to risk all, we want you to say, I'll be there in the end. Give us a reason to solve the future. Now, because we're wired that way, many men will never try to attempt something if he thinks there's less than a 50% chance he will win or succeed at it, especially in relationships. So here's how it goes. If you're married, your man remembers the last argument he had with you over this same thing. He remembers every detail. He knew it was 17 minutes and 30 seconds because SportsCenter was on in 10 minutes. He remembers that. And so he can go back and he remember. And so if you say, hey, baby, let's talk. It's like, oh, what do you want to talk about? Well, let's talk about that thing that we haven't worked through yet. And he thinks back, well, I didn't win back there. And I didn't win that time. 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 If he thinks he can't win in the argument, he won't go there again. So ladies, okay, what do we do then? Help him win! Help him win. And when he wins, you win. Instead of posturing, instead of being defensive, instead of pointing out all his faults and telling him how many times before, because your challenge is you remember all those pop-up screens from the past. Instead of reminding him of all his failures, saying, hey, baby, 
You think we should try that? Yeah, let's try. Okay, give it a try. And if he believes that you at least attempt his, his solving to this puzzle, it lights him up and it makes him feel like he's secure in this relationship. But most men want to play it safe. I watch this happen all the time. Men refuse to grow, grow or try something new because the last memory he has is not a good one. And he won't try it again because of his insecurity. They play it safe, especially if they feel like there is not a chance that he'll win. But if he believes that there's a chance he could win, if there's just a chance that he could win, and it's 51%, he will try it. Think about how that plays out. Men think in problem, progress, payoff. And we think this way. So when we have an issue in a relationship, so when we come to you and you ask us what we should do, it's very difficult for us to feel this. We're processing. And we say, do this, do that, do this, do that, do this, do that. And if you just said once, hey, let's try that. I will guarantee you. I will guarantee you. You'll pick him up off the floor And it will help the situation instead of making it worse. Your men need some affirmation there. And by the way, guys, let's pull away here. By the way, I'm not letting you off the hook. Remember, your wife needs to be loved and not fixed too. We keep score all day long. We keep facts. We keep figures. We're trying to win. I mean, it's... It's so obvious. It starts in early age. I can remember when, when Josh was in T-ball at New Paris, uh, Boys Baseball Diamonds. He was in T-ball. And they used to have a scoreboard in left field. You know, if you're playing, you might as well try to win. That's my philosophy. Otherwise, why keep score? It's, it's ridiculous. I'm just having fun. Let's go out. <laughs> Let's have some fun together. Well, go get your remote control and watch someone else do it. But they, they had this discussion. It's T-ball. It's like, it's too competitive. We should take down the scoreboard at T-Ball at New Paris. And I remember, it, by the way, it was some moms that said, they're just too competitive. And every dad was, he knew what every play was. Like, and when I first heard it, it's like, why don't we just take away the pitcher? Why don't we take away the, the mound? Why don't we take away second base and third base? Why don't we take away outfielders? Why don't we take away coach? Why don't we all just get in the middle and just hug each other then? <laughs> but I remember, they took it away. Listen, let me tell you something, though. My son Josh was, I don't know, six years old. He knew who won. (laughs) Even the scoreboard wasn't up there. He knew what the score was. He knew who who hit what. He knew it. And after the game, I'd say, good game, guys. And and every boy on the bench say, hey, who won? Or we won. Even when the scoreboard wasn't there. Because it matters. We want to win. I can tell you so many times, even in scrimmages with Isaiah or Josh, they come back and they've had scrimmage maybe with another school or maybe the A and B squad, and, uh, and, and they didn't keep score, but they kept a running clock. And, and I say, hey, how practice go? He said, oh, we, we won. I said, would they keep score? No, but I said, but I did. Men keep score. In fact, NASCAR fans, I, 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 I'm a NASCAR fan, and I had to become one when I moved to Indiana because there's these fanatics, and I want to get to know people. I better become a NASCAR fan. And so... I, there's actually strategy there, ladies. I know you can, my wife says, Jim, all they do is go. <laughs> See, they don't even turn right. They're just all left. I see, yeah, but there's strategy. And there's like, they change tires and they got, they had different pit stops and strategy, you know, just like, and they need to go high or low and caster and camber. And she's like, it's just this, Jim. But let me tell you something. When you're a man, I like root for Jeff Gordon. I know you might not like that, but I root for Jeff Gordon, 24. But anyhow, when Jeff Gordon... When he wrecks or he's out of the race, I don't even watch it anymore. And I, and, and I was talking to Larry uh, Kaufman before the service, and he was saying, you know, for him too, and he said sometimes his wife will say to him, well, why don't you keep watching it? We don't have a chance to win. Why watch it? And so if a man feels he doesn't have a chance to win even a relationship, he won't even go there. Ladies, celebrate that with us. We're keeping score all the time. Most men spend more time thinking than they do talking. So when you see your man like he's sitting there, it's like he's processing, he's processing, he's taking in information, taking information, taking information. 
We spend more time thinking than talking. In fact, stats even show us that, that men speak about 5,000 words a day and ladies speak about 10,000 words a day with Gus up to about 30,000 words a day. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> but remember... <laughs> We're made to solve and succeed. And then there are moments where we go to that empty box. Like sometimes you see us and we're just sitting there like this. And they say, hey, you ever have your wife come in? And she says, hey, baby, what you thinking? And you say, nothing. <laughs> oh, you got to be thinking something. You got to be hurting. Something, something going on? Nothing. We go to the nothing box to, to, to refresh and to refuel. Because all day long we're computing. A over B minus C divided by D to, to times pi equals this divided by R equals that, this, and that. And all day long we're computing, computing, computing. It's like we need moments where we just need to go to nothing because our brains are fried. Another thing about men, we long for approval. Look at Proverbs chapter 7. Proverbs chapter 7. Quickly turn to Proverbs chapter 7. We long for approval. It's dangerous though. Look at verse 21. It says this. With persuasive words she led him astray. Proverbs seven twenty-one. She seduced him with her smooth what? Talk. All at once he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose, till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your hearts turn to her ways or stray into her past. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chamber of death. The challenge is this, we long for approval and the deceiver knows that and the opposer knows that and there's danger because when we are not getting approval at home from you and and all we get is criticism and you're a fault finder about us, all of a sudden if another woman shows us flattery, I'm not saying it's right, it's sin, but the enemy knows that. And so if a flattering woman walks into our sphere of life and she says, hey, you good, you got what it takes. And at home he's getting criticized and he's getting... He's getting beat down and he's getting shown every fault. Flattery will build a man up. And I'm telling you what, and if he's not strong in his relationship with the Lord, he will fall because he's looking for approval. In fact, Proverbs 18, 21 says, the tongue has the power of life and death. Ladies, you have the power of life and death with your words over your man. If you give us some approval, it goes a long ways. The best way that you can show us that you love us is by telling us. And by the way, you can't tell us enough. You can't just say, I'm going to do it once a week. And say, well, I already got my one time this week. We need to hear it more. We need to hear it often. We need to hear it regularly. And when you speak about us and you tell us and show us, even if you draw a picture and say, boy and girl, love equals love. Maybe if you even take out some, some of your, the army soldiers and you put them out there and you play army with them, you say, here's strong men, that you, Jim. Oh. <laughs> Show us. Just assume every day that he doesn't know that you believe in him. We're dumb, ladies. We forget. We spend so much time solving, so much time thinking, that sometimes we forget. Just assume that you never told us that you believe in us. Send him a text. Tell him over your lunch hour. Draw a picture. Listen to me. When Ann tells me this, and she even told me recently, she says, Jim, I will follow you anywhere. Oh, I could go to hell and back for her. I felt like I was bulletproof. And when she said, Jim, I'll follow you anywhere, I'm unstoppable. And so is every man in this room. Ladies, you don't realize how much power you have with your words. Your words mean more to us than any other words on planet Earth. So why do you keep beating us up? If you want the man that God intended to be, God's given you a powerful tool to prop him up and to make your relationship stronger. And I know what you'll say. That would give him a big head if I just constantly prop him up and say, you the man, slap him on the butt. (laughs) Remember, it's not your job to keep your man humble. It's God's job. You are to prop him up and you are to lift him up 
and make him believe that he is invincible. And when you speak those words to him, he is unstoppable. Men, am I right? Am I right, men? See, men don't have big heads. Think, well, my man's gonna have a big head. No, we just have hungry hearts that need to be fed by you. Without a supportive wife, a man will idle. And eventually he runs out of gas. And if he can't get gas at home and he doesn't support it by you, he runs out of gas. He hears the flattery of another woman and he goes get gassed up there. I tell you, when a man hears from his wife, she says and she thinks that you're unstoppable, he feels 10 feet tall. By the way, I've never told my wife to stop complimenting me. Has any man here ever said, that's enough, no more, baby, no more, no more, no more, no more. Come on, no more, come on, no more. I've never told my wife to stop complimenting me, never. I, there's never been a time when she says something about me that she likes, or, and, and, and when she does, it's, it's like, I never said, and that's enough, Okay. No, it's like, okay, coming. You can't speak it enough to your man. Ladies, don't make your man or boyfriend fish for compliments either. When he's in public, lift him up. When you're in front of your friends and he's with his dudes and they're just, just brag on him. When you brag on him, he feels invincible. Take a Facebook page and say, just put, my husband rocks. It'll light him up. Speak into his life and social media instead of tearing him down. Don't ever criticize your man in front of your girlfriends or in public or compare him to another man. Because when you do, it crushes him and his insecurity surfaces and he doesn't become the man that you want him to be. So the thing you want to see most is a confident leader. Ladies, you have no idea how powerful your words are and what kind of influence you have on your husbands. We even fish for compliments. I mean, for me, even like I'll leave here after the third service and, um, and I'll, I'll, Ann and I will get in the vehicle and we go out for lunch on Sundays and I'll often ask her, so what do you think about the message? Um, what you think? And she'll say, you know, Jim, that was a killer point. Or, or Jim, that was, you know, that, that, that illustration you used, man, that stuck with me. Or Jim, man, when you said that, that, oh, it's like I'm driving. I'm like, my seat just goes. <laughs> because let me tell you something. I love what you guys say. Praise God. I, thanks for your encouragement. But all the encouragement in this room will not equal my wife when she says that to me. It props me up. I feel unstoppable when my wife pours into me and she does it often. You want to divorce-proof your relationship? Give your man some verbal affirmation. Don't give him a reason to find it elsewhere. You show me a confident, risk-taking man, I will show you a wife behind him that constantly compliments and lifts him up. And some of you are saying, well, he doesn't deserve it. Listen to me. You keep doing it and doing it and doing it. Sooner or later, he'll become the man that you always dreamt he would be. And it was because of you. I want to close with an example of this. Of a story. And I want to say this. Sometimes we are slow learners. And men, I want to give you some tips. Listen to this. Just, this is a powerful story. Hope I can get through it. When I got home that night, as my wife served dinner, I held her hand and said, I got something to tell you. She sat down and ate quietly. Again, I observed the hurt in her eyes. Suddenly, I didn't know how to open my mouth, but I had to let her know what I was thinking. I want a divorce. I raised the topic calmly. She didn't seem to be annoyed by my words. Instead, she asked me softly, why? I avoided her question. This made her angry. She threw away the chopsticks and shouted at me 
You're not a man. That night, we didn't talk to each other. She was weeping. I knew she wanted to find out what had happened to our marriage, but I could hardly give her a satisfactory answer. She had lost my heart to Jane. I didn't love her anymore. I just pitied her. With a deep sense of guilt, I drafted a divorce agreement which stated that she could own our house, our car, and 30% stake in my company. She glanced at it and tore it into pieces. The woman who had spent 10 years of her life with me had become a stranger. I felt sorry for her wasted time and resources and energy. But I could not take back what I had said, for I loved Jane so dearly. Finally, she cried loudly in front of me, which was what I had expected to see. To me, her cry was actually a kind of release. The idea of divorce, which had obsessed me for several weeks, seemed to be firmer and clearer now. The next day, I came back home very late and found her writing something at the table. I didn't have supper, but went straight to sleep and fell asleep very fast because I was tired after an eventful day with Jane. When I woke up, she was still at the table writing. I just did not care, so I turned over and was asleep again. In the morning, she presented her divorce conditions. She didn't want anything from me, but needed a month's notice before the divorce. She requested that in one month, we both struggle to live as normal a life as possible. Her reasons were simple. Our son has his exams in a month's time, and she didn't want to disrupt him with our broken marriage. This was agreeable to me, but she said something more. She asked me to recall how I carried her into our bridal room on the wedding day. She requested that every day for a month duration, I carry her out of our bedroom to the front door every evening. I thought she was crazy. Just to make our last days together bearable, I accepted her odd request. I told Jane about my wife's divorce conditions. She laughed loudly and thought it was absurd. No matter what trick she applied, she has to face the divorce, she said scornfully. My wife and I hadn't had any body contact since my divorce intention was explicitly expressed. So when I carried her out on the first day, we both appeared clumsy. Our son clapped behind us. Daddy is holding mommy in his arms. His words brought a sense of pain to me. From the bedroom to the setting room, then to the door, I walked over 10 meters with her in my arms. She closed her eyes and said softly, don't tell our son about the divorce. I nodded, feeling somewhat upset. I put her down outside the door. She went to wait for the bus to work. I drove alone to the office. On the second day, both of us acted much more easily. She leaned on my chest. I could smell the fragrance of her blouse. I realized that I hadn't looked at this woman carefully for a long time. I realized that she was not young anymore. There were fine wrinkles on her face, and her hair was graying. My marriage had taken its toll on her. For a minute, I wondered what I had done to her. On the fourth day, I lifted her up. I felt a sense of intimacy returning. This was a woman who had given 10 years of her life to me. On the fifth and sixth day, I realized that her sense of intimacy was growing again. I didn't tell Jane about this. It became easier to carry her as the months slipped by. Perhaps everyday workout made me stronger. She was choosing what to wear one morning. She tried on quite a few dresses, but could not find a suitable one. Then she sighed. All my dresses have grown bigger. I suddenly realized that she had grown so thin. That was the reason why I could carry her more easily. Suddenly it hit me. She had buried so much pain and bitterness in her heart. Subconsciously, I reached out and touched her head. Our son came in at that moment and said, Daddy, it's time to carry mom out. To him, seeing his father carrying his mother out had become an essential part of his life. My wife gestured to our son to come closer and hugged him tightly. I turned my face away because I was afraid I might change my mind at this minute. I then held her in my arms, walking from the bedroom through the sitting room to the hallway. Her hands surrounded my neck softly and naturally. I held her body tightly. It was just like our wedding day. But her much lighter weight made me sad. On the last day when I held her in my arms, I could hardly move a step. Our son had gone to school. I held her tightly and said, I hadn't noticed that our life lacked intimacy. 
I drove to the office, jumped out of the car, swiftly looking without locking the door. I was afraid any delay would make me change my mind. I walked upstairs. Jane opened the door and I said to her, sorry, Jane, I do not want the divorce anymore. She looked at me astonished and then touched my forehead. Do you have a fever, she said. I moved her hand off my head. Sorry, Jane, I said, I won't divorce. My marriage life was boring probably because she and I didn't value the details of our lives. Not because we didn't love each other anymore. Now I realize that since I carried her into my home on our wedding day, I'm supposed to hold her until death do us part. Jane seemed to suddenly wake up. She gave me a loud slap and then slammed the door and burst into tears. I walked downstairs and drove away. At the floral shop on the way, I ordered a bouquet of flowers for my wife. The sales girl asked me what to write on the card. I smiled and wrote, I'll carry you out every morning until death do us part. That evening, I arrived home, flowers in my hand, a smile on my face. I run upstairs only to find my wife in bed, dead. My wife had been fighting cancer for months. And I was so busy with Jane to even notice. She knew that she would die soon. And she wanted to save me from the whatever negative reaction from our son in case we push through with divorce. At least in the eyes of our son, I'm a loving husband. The small details of our lives are what really matter in a relationship. It's not the mansion, the car, the property, the money in the bank. These create an environment conducive for happiness but cannot give happiness in themselves. So find time to be your spouse's friend and do those little things for each other that build intimacy and carry her from the bedroom to the kitchen. If you're not in a relationship now, remember this. For the second or third time around, it's never too late to start over. God, I pray for us today. Lord, we are different May we celebrate the differences instead of fighting with the differences. May we value men and women the way you intended. And God, I pray in a special way that there would be a new fresh spark amongst relationships and marriages. I pray, Jesus, that we would go back and do the things that helped us to cause and love in the first place. Bless us and lead us through this week. Thank you for never leaving us nor forsaking us. In Jesus' name, amen. See you next week.